Hey, um, I'm going to share kind of topically today, so I'll be all over the place a little bit. Again, an invitation to follow me through the passages that I'll highlight or to just listen um, either way on your phone, on your, on your thing. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Um, we, uh, we have this, I'm sorry, did I say Matthew 28? That's not, no, that's not where I'm starting. I'm going to start in Matthew 22 this morning. Um, we have these two greats in the Bible. One's called the Great Commission, and one is called the Greatest Commandment. So look at your neighbor and say, great, great. These two um, greats in the Bible form a lot of who we are vision-wise and mission-wise as a church. You take the, the two things that Jesus said um, are the greatest, and one is the greatest and one is great, and, and, and we really can form who we are around these two things. We make a, a triangle, a church triangle, out of this, this idea, and, and we, we kind of springboard from that. And I'll read the passages, I'll walk you through them, but I'll just tell you what the greatest and the great is. The greatest commandment is to, and if you know it, let's say it together, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment that Jesus said. And then the great commission is to go into all the nations and make um, disciples of all people, teaching them all things that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so um, we love God, we love people, and, and, and we make disciples. And so that's our triangle. Those are the three points of our triangle that, that as makes us who we are as Christians in a local church on mission is that our first um, responsibility as a Christ follower is to love God. Everything that you do, everything that you are as a Christ follower um, happens in this process of sanctification. The Bible says in, in, in Timothy that it is the will of God for your sanctification or for you to be on mission for your personal sanctification. Sanctification is, it comes after salvation. It's another um, very cool but kind of churchy word that you should know, you should understand. Salvation is when you get saved. That's the first process. You ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come in your heart. You did absolutely nothing of your own volition to get saved or to earn salvation. But you have accepted the free gift that God has given you. That happens one time. We repent one time in this life unto salvation. We will repent a million times in this life unto sanctification. And because when I repent now, I'm not repenting so that I can go to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Father, of all those that you've put in my hands, of these I have lost only Pastor Chris. That sucker. <laughs> he was so squirmy and, and covered in oil, I couldn't keep him. Jesus said, I've lost none. And, and, and people like to debate the whole salvation issue. When I come to here, I should just leave it alone. But uh, I don't like to debate it. But where I stand is that you cannot lose your salvation. I'll be clear on that. But I do believe you can leave your salvation. That you can make a choice to walk away from Jesus. And, and, and the same choice um, God will honor. That's what I believe. Right or wrong. But you can't lose your salvation. You can't sin your salvation away. But you can make a choice... Because the choice that you make today, whether you want God in your life, whether you want Jesus to be a part of your life and God to be a part of your life, that determines heaven and hell. And all hell is, as we explained last week, if you were here, 
Hell, hell basically has lots of facets, but basically the very, very, very um, skinny of hell is that it's separation from God. It's, 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 it's a place where, where the presence of God does not exist. And when you take away the presence of God, you take away every blessing that we take for granted that God gives you. The very ability to breathe. The very ability to have comfort. And, and so there's all those um, very ominous descriptions of what takes place in hell. But, but God didn't design the, all of those things to punish people. He just simply removed His presence. And when His presence was removed, that's what was created. And, and so um, salvation, as we receive salvation, this free gift, um, we, we, we're, we're saved. We, we have salvation, okay? Now that's done. We'll put that in a bag. We'll wrap it up. We'll put it under the tree, okay? It's, it's a different conversation now, okay? Now, now I'm walking with Jesus, and now I'm, I've entered into a process of Christian living where all of us are, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus, where you are, you know that there's a one verse in the, there's lots of verses in the Bible actually, but there's one verse in the Bible that's very kind of difficult to understand. Kind of seems like it's counterintuitive to, to what the other things in the Bible says. But there's a verse, and the Apostle Paul says, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out my own salvation didn't I just wrap that in a Christmas tree box and put it under the tree because it's a done deal? Okay, that's not talking about that I work anything to get saved. That verse is talking about the process that we're in on this side. It's called sanctification. And the will of God, listen, this is so important. I said all of that to say this. The will of God for your life. You know, number one question I get as a pastor, what is, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will? Everybody wants to know that. Don't you want to know what God's will is? Well, I'll tell you, there's a couple places in the Bible where it's, it's pretty clear and it just it uses the word God's will. And so your antennas go up and you pay attention. But one of the places, and there's several in the Bible with a few different facets, but one of the places in the Bible where it talks about what God's will for your life is, it says that God's will for your life is sanctification. God's will for your life is, is that you be on mission to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That you're in a process every day. We, we've taken all that here in our church because we are so smart. And we have, we have simplified it to one little easy saying. And you guys think it's nursery rhyme stuff and it's lame. It's not. It's deep. And it's theological. And it's biblical. You guys ready? Read your Bible and pray every day. I'm serious. I, 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 I as a pastor, I want to make a difference. And, it, and really, honestly, the greatest difference I can make is if I can get people to read their Bibles and pray every day. It really is true. Because that's how, that's, that's how you start. Without that, I don't know what else to tell you or what else to lead you into being on mission on your personal sanctification. How do you accomplish personal sanctification every day of your life if you don't read your Bible and pray every day? You know, and I know there's a lot of self-help and good to do. And, you know, pastors recommend books and exercises and tofu and whatever, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. Um, I, I, I maybe would like to get a little deeper than um, just read your Bible and pray every day, but I, I really don't have to because if you read your Bible and every, uh, read your Bible and pray every day, you're going to be intimate with Jesus. And then everything that I forgot to tell you, he's going to tell you in your devotions. <laughs> Pastor Chris, you didn't tell me this, but Jesus told me, so I'm good. Pastor Chris, you forgot to tell me this. You forgot to show me that. But I spent time with Jesus this week. 
and he told me, and he showed me, and he taught me, because it's the Holy Spirit that teaches. And the lessons that I teach, whatever, you guys pretend like you're listening, but by the time you get to the car, you forgot 90% of what I said today anyways. But the things that God puts on your heart, the things that God brings emotion with, and the things that God brings, those things last. And, and so on your sanctification, listen, your, your, go, your goal, God's will for your life is that you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The greatest commandment. You know, when you think about that, let's, let's look at it. Uh, in verse number 34 of chapter 22, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. The, Sar- the Pharisees and the Sadducees were fighting all the time. They were in competition. And I'm sure the Pharisees loved this moment where Jesus silenced the Sadducees. So the Pharisees got together and they said, man, those Sadducees, they blew it. Now Jesus silenced them. He made them look stupid. Let's go show everybody how much better than the Sadducees we are. Let's, let's get together and let's come up with a really good trap that'll work. And it says that one of them... A liar, oh, I'm sorry, lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, was, was the question that, I'm, that they're about to ask Jesus, was it legitimate? Oh, I, I, maybe I worded that wrong. I set you guys up bad. Let me try that again. They were, the liar, were, they, were, they were huddled up. They were coming up with ideas in order to um, test him. So the question they were going to ask legit? Sincere. No. No, they did. Okay, let me put it this way. Did they want, like, were they looking for an answer so they could better their lives? No. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to confuse him. They were trying to trick him. They even got a lawyer in, in, in on the, the debate, in on the discussion, the board meeting, because they saw what he just did to the Sadducees. They, they knew enough now that Jesus was no lightweight, that, that he could hold his own. And so they're like, man, we're going to trick him and we're going to get him in front of this crowd and we're going to show everybody we're better than the, than the Sadducees, but we can't come up to him with some dumb question. Okay, Jesus, we've been talking over there. Can God make a rock so big he can't move it? Like, they, they're like, we got to come up with something good. And believe me, they, they really did have what they thought was a trap and something that was really going to give Jesus a dilemma. What is, let's ask him what the greatest commandment is. Why is that such a trap? Because there's 632 different commandments in Jewish law. We, we think of the Ten Commandments. The Jews took the entire Torah and they, and they took the Ten Commandments and all the rules and laws and Levitical laws and rules and they codified it all and they came up with 613, 32? Nobody's going to remember anyways. It's close to there. 632 different laws that that they codified. Listen, if Jesus says do not murder, we got him. Because then what about do not steal? And if Jesus says do not lie, we got him. What about do not commit adultery? It doesn't matter what he says, we got him. So they come to Jesus, and in their mind he has to answer one of these 632 things, one of the one of the lines on the law. And he says, um, teacher. Which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
You know, there's lots of things that are important in Christian living. Lots of, lots of important things that Jesus could have said. Last week's sermon started with the question, what is Christianity? And the answer was, it's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with Jesus. Well, here, this is the same exact answer Jesus gives. What is the greatest commandment for Christ followers, for God followers, for Christians? The greatest commandment is to love God. You have, that, that's relationship. Love, am I, am I, am I tripping or, or is love relational? It's relationship. Jesus answers the same way I answered last week. He says relationship with God. Love God. Who do you have relationship with? Is love important in that relationship? How do you foster that love? You spend time together. You do quality things together. When Lydia and I first started dating, courting, I wanted nothing but to be where she was. And we would spend all day together. This was the day where we had... Um, we had these, these things that would plug into the wall and had a wire that came to this box. And then you had this thing that you picked up and it had a wire going to it and you put it on your ear. And then it got really fancy and, and the box, the wire came to the box and then the thing would pick up with no wire. It was cordless. So we would get home. Two in the morning, I'd drop her off. I live 45 minutes away. I'd drive home. As soon as I got home, i call her. I'm home safe. Two in the morning. And about four in the morning, the phone would still be in my ear. Drool would be running down my face. and We'd be sleeping. And I didn't want to sleep too long because I wanted to get up and go see her in the morning. I wanted to be where she was. You know, when, when God asked Moses, God gave two blank checks in the Bible, one to Solomon and one to Moses. When God gave a blank check to Moses, um, parenthetically, how would you like a blank check from God? Anything you want. God. This is not, uh, oh, what's his name, Genie in the Bottle in Aladdin. This ain't Will Smith in the purple genie. This is God. And he says, anything you want. And Moses said, his answer was, he said, I want to see. I want to see you. Why did Moses say, I want to see you? Because when you love somebody, you want to see them. When you love something, when you love someone, you want to be where they are. Moses didn't say, you know, Moses had two million complaining, grumbling why didn't he say, okay, I'm not going to ask for two million, but can you turn like a million of them into nice people? <laughs> Maybe ten of them? I don't know. Can, can you give me a break for a little vacation? You know, maybe just transport me to Tahiti on the beach for a week or something, you know? He said, I want to see you. And when you love somebody, you want to see them. And when you love God, you want to spend time with them. It's normal that, you know, listen, listen, you are not going to be a successful Christian if your experience in Christian living happens um, from 10 to 11.30 on Sundays. Okay? You know, it doesn't make you a Christian. Go stand in your garage. That won't make you a car for an hour and a half every Sunday. Okay? Christian is something that you do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's relational. It starts with devotions in the morning. You want to change your life? Get up a half hour early and spend a half hour reading your Bible and praying every morning. Things at work going sideways, they'll start to get better. Your relationships going sideways, they'll start to get better. I promise you. I can, you know, again, you know, we, we can cut out so many counseling sessions with a few simple life changes. The first one is read your Bible and pray every day. So love God. Now, um, um, if, if we love God... The, the natural um, result or fruit in your life is what? 
Jesus said it, second commandment. The second is like it. If you love God genuinely and you're doing it right, this is how it manifests itself. You love people. If you love God and you just hate everybody else, you're doing something wrong. You know? If you if you got a bumper sticker on your car that says, Jesus loves you, but everybody else thinks you're a jerk, <laughs> then you're... you're you're, you're missing the mark. You're missing the point somewhere. It should manifest itself to where we love people. And then as we love people, and as we, we know God, we know that people are going to go to hell without Jesus. And that creates a burden in our heart for, for as Christ followers. It creates a dilemma for us because it, it makes us those people that um, are being accused of forcing our religion on other people and not that we're necessarily forcing it on, on everybody, but we definitely have a burden that others don't carry. We have a burden because we know the truth. And, 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 and we, would, we would be, um, you know, we would have bad character if we didn't share that with somebody. I remember it was like in the 90s, but um, Lexus had just developed a brand new um, car technology. And it was a safety feature. And it was, it was state of the art. It was um, the latest, greatest. It was a new technology. And Lexus installed this in their cars. And then the, ele- the, ele- uh, the Lexus executives took this technology and they made it available and free to every other car maker in the world because it was a matter of safety. They had to share it. And, 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 and we have this burden and we have to love people. It's part of who we are as Christians. Now, the, the second part of that, turn with me, if you will, to uh, Matthew 28. So love God, love people. That's two parts of our triangle. And then I'm going to use the greatest um, commission, or not the greatest, I'm sorry, the greatest commandment. Now we have the great commission. And the great commission is in verse 19 of Matthew 28. Go therefore, everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, what, what's the next verse in Matthew? <laughs> that's it. That, that's the last thing that Jesus says to the disciples before he goes up into heaven. Not, not to return again in the flesh the way he had been in the last week where he was appearing to them and all those things. This was it. Go and make disciples. He went, he went up into heaven. He tells them, tarry in Jerusalem and, and, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then, and then they leave this area and eventually they make their way to Jerusalem. They're gathered in the upper room. And 50 days later on Pentecost, 50 days after the cross, I should say, on Pentecost, now this new experience comes, this new living that begins the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, which now for the first time in, in world history and human history, the Holy Spirit would enter and remain inside of folks that your body would become a permanent temple of the Holy Spirit as a Christ follower. And the last thing he said was to go and make disciples. Now, I have to be honest with this word go because this, this, this um, verse is used so many times um, in foreign missions and in missions things that Jesus told us to go. And, and what, not only did he tell us to go, but listen, where did he tell us to go? He said, go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've um, commanded you. So to go to all nations. Um, but the word go... Um, in the Greek participle, it, it, it means as you go. The Greek words usually have the Greek verbs 
have different connotations. A lot of them are military, and they're in like a military setting. Um, some of them are in a sporting setting. This one is, um, the sporting is, it's as you go. Like, like, like make disciples as you go, everywhere you go. So it, it, it does, and I think we can honestly put it into the category of going and doing missions. But, but in its context as well, it carries the idea that who you are as a Christ follower as you go. Where are you going to go today? As you go to the store today. As you go to work tomorrow. As you go to visit your family this summer. As you, as you, as you go, make disciples. And I want to tell you the responsibility of making disciples and, 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 and making Jesus followers in the great commandment is for every one of you. It's for all of us. Every one of us as a Christ follower need to be, are called to be on mission where we're people that share our faith. That, that comes in different packages and different sizes and different abilities. But, but God will take you where your heart is. And if your ability to share the gospel is, is low now or, or you're shy about it or you don't use it, and if it's something that you know um, you want to be that, you, you begin to, again, pray and seek God. And God begins to give you gifts. And God begins to refine this. And so I don't want to hear no excuses like, and, and I, I'm not bagging on anybody because they're here now. You're here now. God bless you. That's where God has you. But if you want to be over here where God is using you in a greater way, that is possible for your life. That's what I'm saying. That, that you're not just stuck there because that's who you are. Well, I'm Irish and that's all. No. That, 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 that you're, you're, you're not stuck in that, in that frame. You can be used by God to share the gospel. And maybe not the way I do or the way Lydia does, but the way you do and in your um, context and in your, in your life to be a person who shares the gospel. But here's what you do and should um, at least have as a foundation is the understanding that it, it is your call. It is your responsibility. God has chosen to use us, every one of us as Christ followers. He didn't say, okay, this is my people, and then I'm going to um, make missionaries and pastors and leaders, and it's their job um, to make the disciples, and, and then you guys be the disciples. That's, that's not the way it works. Actually, if, you, if I'm being honest, in a local church setting, it's not my job to, um, to, to evangelize. That's your job. Your job is to bring people, and my job is to equip them um, for the work of the ministry. So it's your job to invite friends and bring people. It's a sheep's, the sheep begat sheep. And so um, to do that. So anyways, in Acts 1.8, the next go. So now we have the Great Commission, the, great, the greatest commandment and the Great Commission, Acts 1.8. Got a couple, a few more scriptures. I'm going to highlight for you guys what we do in missions. And then I'm going to invite uh, Josh and Dave up. So it says, um, Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. You can't you can't say that word without some kind of demonstration, because the word in the Greek is not power. The word in the Greek is dynamite. It's it's, it's power. And and that's the way it carries. If you just read it, power. No, now you're missing it. That's not what the Holy Spirit does in your life. You shall receive power to shoot fireballs out of your eyes. You receive powers to join the Justice League. They have a four-hour movie they just put out. Four hours. What are you going to do with that? I wouldn't even turn it on. There's no way I'm going to make it to a four-hour movie, and so I'm not going to watch the first hour or two. I don't know. Okay, so... The power so you can be a part of the Justice League, right? Are you guys with me? Acts 1.8? No, listen. The power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you 
so you can what witness i'm gonna have all this power from god and all i can do with it is witness really come on at least give me like some webs or something okay so i don't need to fly but something this is the power of God, the dunamis power of God that God's going to promise. And the entire, listen, the entire purpose of it is to help you witness. Not not to help you witness. That's, that's bad theology. That really is bad theology. Bad doctrine. I should say it correctly. The power is to make you a witness. A, a witness, the Bible says, is something that you are. It's something that you become. It's something that it's, it's sanctification. And in your process of growing and becoming more Christ-like, Part of, again, the manifestation as we learn to love people is that we, we, we become witnesses, right? Listen to what it says. So that you shall be witnesses. It doesn't say be a witness or a Jehovah witness. It says be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's God's plan for mission all over the world. Judea, or Again, Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? To the ends of the earth. Okay? The, the, the disciples were in Jerusalem. We're in Tuilla. If this verse was read to us today, Jesus would say, God would say, I want you to be witnesses for me in Tuilla, in Utah, in the United States, and around the world, is what, is what he was saying. Because if you follow this progression, Jerusalem, and, and then the next one, Judea was the surrounding area where Jerusalem sat. Samaria was the next, the next place over into the, the earth. Now, I came from Southern California, and now you put a dart on the map where I am, and you draw a circle that's Tooele, and then that's my, that's my Jerusalem, and then my Judea is Utah, and then my Samaria is the United States. Well, then one day Josh and Amber are going to go out and plant a church somewhere, and let's say Josh ends up somewhere in, I don't know, Josh, Florida. That's a good state. Josh ends up somewhere in Florida, now, when Josh and Amber land in Florida, that's his Jerusalem. And then he's going to reach northern Florida, the rest of Florida, the United States, and then the rest of the world. And then Josh one day is going to raise up a pastor and send him out. And he's going to end up in Tijuana. And that's his Jerusalem. And then he's going to reach, you know, and, and all over. And you multiply this all over. The, and that's the way that God designed missions. That's exactly the way that Calvary Chapel grew starting in 1968. Pastor Chuck Ray had five guys. Um, pastors. He had them in his living room five nights a week. My wife would never put up with that. No, she's such a servant. She would do it. No, I'm kidding. Five days a week and he trained these five guys and then he sent them out to different states around where he was. Um, New Mexico, Oregon, uh, a couple in California and then, and then they started churches and then they started doing what he did and then they started sending people out and, and um, that started in 1968 and 1994. Calvary Chapel was the largest evangelical church in the world. And so it's just that's the way that God works. That's the way that God um, produces disciples. So power to be witnesses, this call to go out. Okay. Now look at Revelation chapter 3. This is, this is the doozy, okay? If you're, if you're uh, lighthearted, I, you might want to just hang out and don't go to Revelation 3. This is only for the, this is only for the elite is only for real Christians. You're just playing Christian. No, I'm kidding. All right, here we go. Um, so I, I can't get into this without giving you a little bit of a background in case you don't have that furniture. But listen, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus 
is giving is writing a report card, okay? How many of you guys like report cards? If you're like my wife who got straight A's her entire life without a B, then you like report cards. If you're like me and your uh, report card had different looking letters on it, <laughs> you're not uh, so much into report cards. But Jesus is writing a report card and he's telling every church of these seven churches that represent different denominations. They were all in the area of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, where, where Paul had begun to plant churches. They go through all the ages. Um, and, and one of the churches, um, Jesus has nothing bad to say. They got no bad marks. So as I read through the churches, I say, okay, good marks, good marks. Our church wants to do this. Bad marks, bad marks. We want to stay away from this, stay away from this, stay away from this. And you go through the seven churches, and it helps us know who we want to be. Because Jesus says, these are good, this is bad. Well, to the church of Philadelphia, nothing bad to say about them. So we can just camp right there. Like, let's be the church of Philadelphia. If, if we got a report card from Jesus personally, what would it say? What are the things that we do well? What are the things that, that we can improve on? Well, here's what he says to the church of Philadelphia. Um, Revelation 3, chapter 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. And the angel to the church in Philadelphia write these things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now listen, verse 8. I know, the, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. So the first thing we find is that this is the church of the open door. Um, this is the missions-minded church. This is the church that um, was going to... You know, they had an open door, meaning that, that they didn't just do ministry where they were and, 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 and hold on and everything in here and, and together that they, they went out and they, they were the church of the open door, the missions-minded church, we say. You'll hear that term. I, I went to read this verse today when I was getting ready, and I, I, you know, the, actually yesterday, and I'm expecting to find the word mission-minded in there because I say that so much about Revelation 3, the mission-minded church. But it's, it's read in the text, the, the church of the open door. And, and so we, we, we want to be, if, if that's one of the compliments that Jesus gives, we want to be a church of the open door and, and have our doors open to the whole world and follow the rest of the things I just said in the Bible. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories about, about, it's kind of about missions, but it's about missions and finance together. And I've shared it a bunch of times with you folks, so I know a lot of you that have been here have heard it, but maybe you're somebody that haven't. It's a true story. Um, the, the church at home, the church, my sending church, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel, um, ha- had really grown in this season. And in about 2002, um, we were really ready to kind of explode. And so we borrowed $2.7 million from a, from a lending agency, a Christian lending agency called ECCU. We needed to build a new sanctuary, uh, a new uh, sports stadium, football field, um, offices, classrooms, um, parking lots, infrastructure. And so in order to accomplish this, this building project that, that we had, we borrowed $2.7 million from ECCU. ECCU is Evangelical Christian Credit Union. It's the largest Christian lending um, um, agency in the world that I know of. Um, and so the CEO, they're based out of somewhere in Riverside, California. The CEO of ECCU, he came to our board meeting the day that we signed the final papers to borrow the $2.7 million. The, the, the loan was accepted and it was ready to fund into our accounts. And that day, the, the CEO, the highest you can get in ECCU, he came to our board meeting before um, he gave us $2.7 million. You know, all the, all the underwriters, everything was done before that. And maybe the guy just said, before I find, make the final, you know, push the button to put the money in their account, I want to see what's going on out there. 
So he came, he met with our board, we showed him all around, uh, we borrowed the money. 13 years later, 2000, and, no, it wouldn't have been 13 years later, it would have been like nine years later because I was still there. Um, so it would have been like 2012, 2011, 12, somewhere in there, we had fully paid off the $2.7 million in full. We, um, we also were building, we built a 40-acre campus with the $2.7 million. So not only are we you know, making our monthly payments and paying back $2.7 million over nine years, we're also spending $2.7 million and more to build all these things that I said. We built a new sanctuary, football stadium, um, classrooms, offices, pavements, you name it. Um, so when, the, when, when we made the last payment, the, pay, the, the 2.7 was paid back in full. We're, we're, we're done with ECCU. The, that same guy, the, the CEO, he, came, he wanted to come back. And he asked, said, can I come back? So we told him when our next board meeting was. And he came back to um, the board meeting. And he looked at Pastor Gerald and he said, he said Pastor Gerald, he said, um, I, in the last 11 years since I was here last to here, he came once. He, first of all, I couldn't believe what, what the difference was of what the facility looked like, the campus looked like from the last time he was there to this time he was there. His jaw was on the floor. He's like, I cannot believe what you guys have done. And then he said, in, in this time, since I've given you guys the loan, the $2.7 million, he said, I've had to foreclose on, on a lot of churches just like yours. And he said, and you guys in the same season built all this stuff and paid it back. And he said, I got one question for you. True story. He said, what do you do for missions? And Pastor Gerald began to lay out for him um, how the church, um, in essence, tithes or gives back itself and that, that they involve in, and in missions. 400000 that year we gave away just to um, the Christian school to raise up the next generation of kindergartners through 12th, through 12th graders. 400000 that year. The year before that was like two fifty or something, but it was a lot. But that particular year was 400000 just 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 for the school. So Gerald's telling him this, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, and we're giving here, and we're, you know, we're involved in this mission here, and we're involved in this mission here, and we have, you know, he's laying out for him what our missions program is. And, and when, when Gerald was done, the guy said, all of the churches that I foreclosed on, they don't give to missions, they don't do missions, and they keep everything extra in a savings account, and they're not making their payments. He said, all the churches that are making their payments and that, that are paying back their loans, they're giving away their money to missions and to God's work. That, that, that's a, that, I mean, I, I wish I'd have got it right out of the Bible. I didn't. I got a life lesson. But that life lesson was, it was as powerful for me that, so when we planted this church, it's a no-brainer, right? Like, okay, the churches that give it away and are generous, God is taking care of. And the ones that try to hold it all and have big bank accounts and big um, building funds, then they're the ones that can't make their payments. We're going to be a church who gives stuff away. And so from the onset, when we planted this church in 2013, we came with that mindset that we were going to be a church that gave things away. And, and, and in the, in, you know, we're a small church. You know, our, our budget was we didn't have any extra money. You know, we, we had nothing. And so we, we had to do what we can when we could. But every time we did, we were generous and, 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 and very generous. We were in this one campaign fundraising missions thing where um, it, was, it was through Calvary Chapels and the conference and, um, and they were asking for this, this missions program, and we had donated a check. And the, and the missions director, he called me a little bit later, and he said, you know, of all the big Calvary chapels and all the churches that were in these conferences and all the churches that we've solicited for this mission, he said, Tooele Springs wrote the largest check. 
And then he called me like a week later and he said, okay, he said, somebody just gave more than you. You lost first place. I said, okay, well, what cost me to get back in first place? He said, about two grand. And I said, okay, second place sounds pretty good. <laughs> and that's where we stayed. Um, so, there's more in Revelation. i got to go, you guys. They're a mission-minded church. Um, actually, let's, let's just do it real quick. Um, verse number 8. You have a little strength, and you have kept my word. Everybody say, keep my word. Not denied my name. Some other factors there, um, and I hope at Calvary Chapel that we keep God's word. We, we, we read it Genesis to Revelation. We don't try to mold it in to fit our culture. We try to mold our culture to fit what the word of God says. And so we want to be a church that keeps God's word and we keep it at the forefront. Hey, let's go one more. Back, back, back now. As far left as you can go. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I just want to highlight for you guys really quick um, verse number 24. Actually, verse 23. 1 Samuel 30 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Such a low, 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 low point at David's life and such a great victory. David and his men, these 400 men that God put around him, um, they were out fighting and their wives and children were, were at home. The, the Amalekites came and, and, and took all the wives, set everything on fire, took all their children, took all their stuff and left. And David and his men who just got back from a war came back to villages burned down and their wives and kids gone. So David prays and says, God, should we go fight these people and get our kids back and go try to fight? And they didn't know if their wives and kids were alive or dead. And God said, go. Some of the men had just come back from war. And as, as bad as it was, you'd think if your wife and your kids are gone, you're going to try to rescue them and save them. But, but it, it goes to speak how fatigued and how done these men were from battle. And there was a group of men that just absolutely could not go to the next battle. So they get back. So David gathers the men that can go, and they go up to the next battle. And, and, then, and then God gives them this amazing victory. They get all their kids back. They get their wives back. They get all their stuff back. Not a one of them was harmed. God just put a complete miracle and victory over this whole thing of David. Well, some of the men that went, they said, those guys that stayed back by the tent, they're not getting any of the spoils. Because not only did they get all their own stuff back, they took all the stuff that was the spoils of, of the Amalekites, and they had all these riches, and they said, we're not giving any of this gold, any of this stuff, to the guys that didn't come with us. And then in verse 24, or verse 23, But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us? For he who will heed you in this last matter. But as his part is he who goes down to the battle, so shall be his part who stays by the supplies, they shall share alike. Everybody say share alike. This proclamation of our king, the, 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 the um, great-grandfather of Jesus, Jesus is known as the son of David, this proclamation here in verse 24 is um, Bible. It's God. It's, it's, it's something that God has taken and, and made a part of who we are as Christ's followers, as King David proclaims this truth. Whether you go or whether you stay, we do what with the spoils? We share together in them. So I'm getting ready to go to a mission on Wednesday, and, and many of you have given to um, make that mission happen and to be able to send me to go. 
So whether you give or whether you go, I'm hoping and praying that many of you this coming week will be praying for me, praying for the mission, so you don't have to give money, even giving of your prayers, which is more valuable and more important as you guys pray for this mission to, to Uganda next week, that, that you now are a part of it. So this is the way it'll go down. You'll get to heaven. You'll be cruising around the streets of gold, maybe head down to the Sea of Glass for a little swim. And you'll see someone there on the beach. And when they see you, their eyes are going to explode and they're going to be so excited. And they're going to thank you because it was your witness that brought them to heaven. And you're going to look at this stranger and go, "Uh, I appreciate you thanking me and I wish I could take credit, but I don't even know you. I didn't do anything. And they're going to say, I got saved in Uganda when you were there. And now you're going to know the caper's up. Ah, I was never in Uganda. And they're going to say, I know, Chris went for you. And you sent him. So together we share in the spoils. Together the reward that God is going to give, the, the building on your mansion, the materials that you're sending up, whether you go or whether you stay, we share in the spoils. It doesn't mean you get to stay home and do nothing. You have to be a part in the mission. You have to pray for it. You have to give to it. You have to do something. You have to stay back and watch the stuff. And as you stay back and watch the stuff, Dave's going to stay back and watch the stuff next week as he's going to cover my pulpit and preach to you guys and bring God's word to you guys next week. He's going to share in the rewards. And that's the way that God um, has laid it out. All right. Um, I got to skip the next one, y'all, because if I do, Josh and uh, Dave will have no time to share with you guys. And I want them both to take a few minutes and share with you guys. Um, the last one was John chapter four, and um, you guys should be familiar with it. And I just just encourage you really quickly. Chapter four: Jesus is in Samaria. He's um, witnessing to the woman at the well. Um, the disciples have been in town. The disciples come back. Um, the woman um, goes into Samaria. She tells all the people what Jesus did and what happened. And and, and these guys they would have wore turbans. You know, the, the wraps on their heads that were white and the disciples get back and Jesus is there. And then the woman is bringing all of the men from the town of Samaria to, to, to Jesus because of this woman's witness. She went and said, I found Messiah. So all the men in the city, they gathered. They're going to go out with her to find this Messiah. The disciples were gone. And now they come back. They're all standing there and they see this group of people coming towards them with their white suburban, their white suburbans. If they had white suburbans on their head, it wouldn't be so nice. But white turbans on their heads. And then, and then verse 35 of John 4, Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. It's not talking about wheat. It's talking about the fields are white for harvest. Jesus said, look up, lift your eyes. The fields are, har- are white for harvest. There's a harvest field that God has put around you that you can absolutely reap. Some reap, some, some plant, some sow, some plant, some water, some reap a harvest. Be a part of that process of witnessing somewhere as God uses you. Amen? Josh, you want to come up and uh, share with us for a minute? Hey, I asked Josh to come up and share with us for a second, then he's going to pray. We're going to focus it on the prayer, like we talked about covering in prayer. And so um, he's going to pray at the end as well for the mission and whatever God put on his heart. Good morning. All right, so a few things that I wanted to share with you guys this morning. So first, I want to encourage you guys, if, uh, if there's anyone here that has never been on a mission trip before, um, I really encourage you guys to, to be involved in that, and at least at some point in your life to be on a mission trip. For me personally, 
I've been on a few mission trips to Mexico, and every single time I go to Mexico, man, the Lord personally for me, it's a huge blessing to to share the gospel, especially for the children that we were able to witness to. But the Lord did a huge heart or a huge change in my heart, showing me how materialistic I can be and show how ungrateful I truly am. Because you see, when when you go and you you witness to the children that that don't even have parents or children we were we were told that the children there man they get into drugs as early as nine years old and they get into those drugs primarily because they're so hungry and they the drugs are cheaper than food and so in order to fulfill that that hunger in their stomachs they decide to to have these hardcore drugs because it's cheaper than food and you start to the lord starts doing this work in your heart just showing you man how ungrateful i've been because just as the the video that that we watched we're so concerned about our football team winning or we start complaining because the line at Janos is too long and we weren't able to get our coffee in the morning and it's completely ruined our entire morning, right? Where there's people around the entire globe that are starving or are hurting without Jesus and are dying. And the Lord starts to do that, that, that work in your heart. And so I encourage you guys that, that if you've never been on that missions to try to be involved, but the second thing I wanted to share was actually First Samuel chapter 30. So <laughs> Pastor Chris kind of went over that with you guys. But uh, just to know that if you've never get that opportunity to go on missions, that doesn't mean that you're you're not a part of that. Just as Pastor Chris was sharing in First Samuel chapter 30, that uh, you can be involved just as simply as, as praying for Pastor Chris and for other pastors and people that do go on those missions and do share the gospel. And for those who um, do become Christians and are saved, you do get um, to reap in that reward. So, Father God, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and Father God, we lift up Uganda to you right now, God, as as we send Pastor Chris out there to uh, just share the gospel, Lord, and to to raise up uh, men to to preach the gospel, Father. Lord, we ask that you would uh, do an amazing work there, Lord. We know that you already have begun that work. Lord, we already know that there's many young men and women that have accepted you and are on fire for you, Father. So, Lord, would you continue that work and use us as a church, Father, to um, be reminded that it's not about the things of this world. It's not about materialism, Father, but that we want to get wrapped up in that, Jesus, that we remember uh, the end goal, Lord, and that's to, to preach the gospel and continue to fill up heaven with your children, Lord. So, Lord, may we be faithful to pray for Pastor Chris and pray for Uganda and pray for all the missions, Lord. Lord, may your work be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh. All right. My turn. So I love, 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 love missions. I think I've been to every continent except for Africa, so I'm a little jelly, (laughs) and Antarctica. Uh, but what I want to share with you this morning uh, is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. And it says here, well, first let me ask you a question. Now, we talked about the going and everyone reaping the rewards. I think that was a part of my thing, too. So <laughs> everyone can go if you pray. If you can't physically go, but you've got some extra finances, you can send and then you can also be those that go. So in some way, everybody in the body can be involved. But by raise of hand, who has ever wanted 
to go on a mission trip, whether you've been or not, anybody wanted to go. Okay, there's a lot of hands. But now this happens every time in a church. There's a lot of people that want to go, but because of fear, because of finances, it could be you're afraid of what you're going to have to eat or the language barrier or whatever. People don't want to step out in faith. But let me read this scripture to you. Uh, And it says in Mark 16, verse 15, And he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So a personal testimony of mine, the first mission trip I went on in 2006, I went to Honduras, and like many uh, many people, I was kind of nervous about the language barrier, nervous about what we might have to eat. Well, my pastor in Houston had told me a story about a trip he took to India and some, without getting into some slimy kind of stuff that he had to drink, and he was like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I just ate. But I'm claiming this verse from Mark 16, that whatever I drink won't kill me, right? And so we, we're in Honduras, and, and my pastor at that time was also doing something similar, teaching other pastors how to do inductive Bible study and whatnot. So the rest of us, they sent out on these this mission tour uh, to the little villages to pray for people, to give little devotionals, to sing worship songs and whatnot. So we go to this this remote place, and... The driver stops at the end of a road, like literally the end. There was nowhere else to go. And we're like, where are we going? And he points to the mountainside, and he said, up there. I'm like, are you kidding me, right? I'm carrying a guitar. I've got no water. Like, I was not expecting to go on a two-mile hike up the side of a mountain. So we start hiking up the side of this mountain. By the time we get up there, I mean, it's like in the 90s with high humidity. I am like, sweat is pouring down. My shirt is soaked through. We get up there, and I must have looked horrible because the locals that came out of these little mud huts were like, agua? (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I didn't think about where the water was coming from. I just said, see, right? And so they bring me this glass of water, and I chugged it. I was so thirsty. I chugged a second one. And then after I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I don't know where that water came from. And I was like, my pastor said, Mark, I'm like, Mark 16, Lord, Mark 16. I well, I don't think I got sick. Uh, I was okay. But as you continue down this portion of scripture, so the Lord does answer prayers in that way. You can read about Paul in Acts chapter 3 when a snake bit him and he flung it off. And uh, But verse 19, it says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Let's look at the next verse, or the next part of the verse. The Lord working with them and confirming the signs through, or confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So that's that's really like one of the best parts of missions is getting to see the Lord work with you. And you don't have an idea how that's going to happen before you go, but he always shows up big and does something awesome. That same trip in Honduras, Sorry if I'm going too long no, here. The, this, the same trip in Honduras, one of the, the things that we were assigned to do was go out to a village. They heard the missionaries were in town. They asked that we come to this apartment and we pray 
for a little girl who had a heart condition. And we were told that this is a, she's going to die from this heart condition. The family doesn't have money. They can't afford the, the surgery to repair something that we take for granted that could easily go to a, doc, a hospital here and get taken care of. They couldn't do it there. And so she was going to die. The family knew she was about three. And so they just asked that we would come pray. That was it. So we went. We shared a little Devo, played some worship songs. We prayed, and we left. And didn't, didn't know the outcome. Didn't know what would happen. The next year, our church went back to Honduras. I didn't go on that particular trip. But they found out that God had touched the little girl, and she was completely healed. And so the Lord was working. Yeah, amen. The Lord shows up big, and he works through you. And that's one of the things that makes it so addictive to go on mission trips because you're like, man, God is working through you every time. He just shows up so big. And it's it's an awesome thing uh, to be a part of. So that's it. Lead us in prayer, brother. Yes. Father, we do uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to go. We thank you for uh, giving uh, Chris this opportunity to go with uh, Joshua Springs. We do pray for Uganda. We pray for uh, the people, the hearts, the pastors, that they would have a heart and mind to receive for the translators. We pray for Chris just for the travel mercies and, and just protection on the ground from from food and mosquitoes and all the different things that can creep up, God, that fear would not be what wins but faith. And so, God, we also lift up Lydia and the family that will be behind and just pray that you would stand in the gap at home, be the husband, the father that's missing. There's always a battle that happens when these trips come up and something inevitably goes wrong, but we pray that you would stand in the gap there with them and also here in the church, Lord, that you would stand in the gap and just just allow your presence to be made known and be felt that when Chris comes back, you can just step right in and there's not anything to worry or be concerned about and we can just trust in you. So Lord, we look forward to hearing the good report of all that's going to happen on this trip and how you're going to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, brother. Um, All right. (laughs) Good job. Praise the Lord. All right. Here's the part where I ask you guys for five more minutes. We won't do a last song today, but... um, I got a five-minute video. You guys handle it? Can you guys handle it? At the end? You still want a song at the end? I, I don't know about that. We'll try. Because Sunday school, the kids. Okay, look. Let's, let's walk through this. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell you guys where your money's gone and what we do as a church's missions, what our, what our future vision is. Um, so let's walk through this really quickly. Um, next slide, whatever. Okay. So first of all, our first mission is to our what? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. Yes. So our first mission is to is to Tooele County. So since I've been here in 2013, um, in benevolence and outreach, this number kind of comes off the top of my head. So it's not a science. It's not. I didn't go through all the books for the last seven years and come up with an exact number. Sometimes, you know, it, you know, when when someone asks another, when a pastor asks another pastor how many people was in his church that day, and whatever number that pastor gives. There's a term we use for that. It's called evangelistically speaking. It's like, how big was your fish? So I don't know, but I, that's, oh, can we go back one not? Yeah, so that um, that number, okay, so that number for Tooele County, again, it's just kind of me doing the math in my head and, and what, you know, but it, I, I wouldn't um, have no problem, wouldn't shy away from at least 200,000. 
um, in, in just giving to our community, giving to our town. We do stuff like the baseball team asks the church if we want to buy a, a, a poster board or an ad or the um, food for families would be included in that. Much of what that is, is when I say the term benevolence, that's money and help that we've given to people that are a part of this church family. You have to come to church here, attend church here. You have to give, and you have to you have to serve somewhere. If you meet the three criteria, you're a part of this church. We're responsible for you. If you're going through something in your life and you need help, ask because we can help you. God's given us the resources to do that, and that's what we want to do. If um, you're a stranger and you call out of the blue and ask the same question, the answer is going to be no. If you're a part of our church family, then um, we're here to serve and help you. Okay, so that's that's all part of that. Next one is um, food for families. You guys are familiar with that. We um, have about 15000 this year and last year invested in food for families. We gave a check for 10000 We've probably spent about 5000 um, in transportation and costs to do this ministry um, since it started. They need another 5000 for a forklift. We've been praying and talking about that for a while. It just hasn't happened yet. But um, if we find the right forklift, Willow Springs is going to buy a forklift to donate to this ministry. Um, next one. Um, so our missionaries, this is Vlad and Saveta, they're in the Republic of Georgia, and uh, we give them about between two to $5,000 a year since 2015. Uh, Vlad and I were in Bible college together, and that's how we ended up, you know, a lot of the missionaries that we have in this church, it's, I happen to have personal connections with, or otherwise I don't know how I'd find them or know them, but this, um, Vlad and I were in Bible college together, he was a missionary in, jo- in the country of Russia, until about three years ago, God called him and his wife to leave and establish one of the best Calvary chapels in the entire continent of Russia, country of Russia, and um, go to Georgia where he knew nobody, he didn't know the language, and start over. And Vlad, by faith, he's my age, stepped out in faith. And I couldn't, I, I don't know, I couldn't imagine just going out right now and starting completely from scratch with nothing. But God called him to do it. They did it. And the miracles are happening in the country of Georgia right now. The country of Georgia has no, um, they have no immigration laws. So right now the ministry is, they're bringing students from all over the world. Primarily it just happened to be, we're bringing Iranian students into Georgia. They're staying there between six months to a year. They're training them. They're teaching them how to teach the Bible. They're, they're, they're raising them up like in this intense Bible college setting. They're, they're doing their own food, their own stuff. And then we're sending them back to Iran where, they, where they're um, planting churches. And one of the fastest growing revivals in the world today statistically is happening in the country of Iran. Um, this is Jeremy and Stacy Bear. They were um, pro- probably a lot and maybe them. Jeremy was a, was a pastor at a Calvary Chapel here in Utah um, in Ogden. And God raised him up indigenously. He was born and raised LDS. He got saved. He started a Calvary Chapel. Um, he was he, he, about a church probably about our size, a little bigger by the time he left. He was um, getting involved with all the Calvary Chapels. And he got recruited to go to the country of Hungary where he was going to run the Calvary Chapel Bible College Europe Extension. He did that for a couple of years. And then, and then God used that as a springboard to um, the neighboring country, which is Serbia, and Jeremy is, and his family are now in Serbia. Their mission is um, there's 0.64% evangelicals in the country of Serbia. And, and, and their mission is very slow. They're, they're learning the language. They're, they're, um, you know, but it's going to take some time, but it's gonna, eventually it's going to do its thing. But they're learning the language. They're building relationships. Then they're going to start training pastors and planning churches. They haven't quite got to that. One of the questions is, can we go, can we as a church get a missions team and go and visit one of these places? Okay, and I'll try to remind you as we go through. The answer in Uganda, I'm sorry, in um, 
the country of Georgia is no. Right now, because the, the, what's happening with the Iranian students is, um, I'll tell you outside later, okay? But it's um, low-key, and, 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 and really the mission right now is for pastors to go with their wives and teach. That's the need right now. Eventually, there may be some more need where they, they're going to bring teams. Right now, we're not bringing teams. We're only bringing pastors and their wives who are going to teach the Bible and teach people how to teach the Bible in the country of Georgia. In Serbia, um, Jeremy is not yet ready to start receiving teams, but he's working towards that. So there could come a day where we could put teams together and go serve in Serbia and help Jeremy in Serbia. Okay, next one. Two to 5,000 annually. Um, McCallie's a future in a home. This is an orphanage in um, Malawi, Africa that Gerald and uh, Marilee um, run with another gal. Um, it's indigenous. One of our, one of our um, missionary strategies is we try to use indigenous folks. It's, it's never, it's not, I can't say it's never. It's usually not a good deal to have Americans permanently on the mission field in some of these places because Americans don't understand the language and the culture and it takes a long time, like where Jeremy's at. They're, gonna, they're taking the first three years just to learn the language and the culture and make relationships. But when you have people that were born and raised there, so in Malawi, no Americans, only, only Malawians. We train them, we raise them. It's very, um, they're very particular about who they send and who they go. Um, one of the pastors that was being raised up at McCallie's um, to serve, um, we brought an American missionary there, and the American missionary, against what we asked him to do and not to do, had he gave the guy two thousand dollars. Just felt like he brought this money, he wanted to bless him. He thought he was blessing him, and he gave him two thousand American dollars. That was the last time we'd ever seen that pastor. Gone. He just never came back. It's just, I don't know what he did, but you know, and he was you know, being raised up and was right around and it just ruins them. Sometimes Americans can do more harm than good. So it, it ruined them, you know, and so we don't do that. We've given a one-time gift to Malawi for $10,000. I think that was somewhere back around 2014 or 15. I haven't given any more money to Malawi since then. So um, that's something we can think about and pray about. Uh, next slide. Um, MCIC2. We've given them to date uh, $7,500. NCIC2 is a men's um, home in Palm Springs, California, where we send people who are um, wanting to recover from drugs and alcohol. And so it's a Christian discipling program for men. It's a men's home. They live there. They, they, they can come out of drugs and alcohol. It's a rehab. Although they don't like the term rehab, they use the term men's discipleship instead of rehab. But that's basically what it is. If you know somebody, if you have somebody in your life who needs um, rehab, contact me, get a hold of me. We have this wonderful ministry and relationship that we support and that we can send people to. Next one. Okay, the Philippines. Um, the Philippines right now is up in the air. Uh, we all have bought tickets and we still have our tickets. They're, they're just um, vouchers now. So we're, we're going to be looking at January to go back to the Philippines. The Philippines trip was canceled because coronavirus. They closed the country. Then we hit the monsoon season. This is a fabulous opportunity, I think, the one that we're working on now. It's a threefold mission, the Jesus Film Outreach. We go out in the villages, we share the Jesus Film. We, we build, we're building facilities that they'll use for church facilities. We're training pastors in, in pastor training groups. And then we can bring groups to this one. So this is one where we as a church, anybody who wants to go can go to the Philippines and, and it'll be a great opportunity. Now you have till January to pray about going if you'd like to go. Um, and, uh, yeah, just great opportunities all over the Philippines. Then Uganda, this is where I'm going on Wednesday. Um, Sherry, do you guys know Sherry? Stand up. How long did you spend in Uganda? All right, awesome. So Sherry has been a missionary in Uganda. 
She has a heart for it. She was excited when I mentioned of all places I was going to Uganda. And there may be a chance that she's going to go back through this mission to Uganda. So um, anyways, in Uganda, what we're doing in Uganda, it's right on Entebbe. Um, Kampala is the capital of, of Uganda, which is right above that. Entebbe is also a very big city there where the Na- international airport is. sits right on Lake Victoria. Uh, this particular trip, we're planting a CBI in Uganda. We're working with a guy named Pastor Isaac, and he's going to oversee. And a CBI is Calvary Bible Institute. It's basically a Bible training, Bible college type of thing. We're, we're building the building. We're paying for the construction of it, which is very cheap. But we're building it. We're training the pastors. And then they'll recruit the students, and we'll equip them. Um, to do a CBI. So we're building, we're equipping, we're training. And then eventually in, um, in Uganda through this, we want to plant churches. We don't want Americans to go and plant churches. We want um, to raise up indigenous folks. And that's what CBI is for. And through the CBI, we raise up people, indigenous folks that go and plant churches, and then we help support them. So um, I guess that's it. <laughs> um, that's kind of what we got going on right now. Um, I don't know if I forgot anything. All right. Hey, let's, uh, will you guys, will you guys pray for me and we'll close that way?